welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. We're here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk. I'm Zachary Shahan, CEO of Clean Technica, and we have a fabulous panel today to discuss the solar net metering bill in Florida that was recently looked like it was going to be just stamped on DeSantis's desk and put into law. It was quite anti-rooftop solar bill, more or less written by utilities or a utility, and it ended up to Ron DeSantis, Governor DeSantis, vetoed the bill, which surprised many people. So we're we're here today with a, a group of quite diverse solar experts and experts on this topic who are going to try to get to the bottom of how this happened, why this happened, and what it means for the future. My co-host for this discussion, this panel discussion, is Melissa Baldwin, Senior Vice President at TigerCom, a clean tech communications firm. And she's actually done more of the legwork for putting this together. They're, they sort of their their brainchild and and some of the connections here. Or yeah, so I'm going to let Melissa run the show a little bit more. But of course, I'm the host of Clean Tech Talk, so I will be doing my host duties here and there as well with a sunny smile. Melissa, do you want to start off by doing a quick intro of our panelists and yourself? Of course, give us a little more background on who you are, Melissa. Sure. So I'm Melissa Baldwin. I'm the Senior Vice President at TigerCom. We are a clean tech marketing and PR and public affairs company. We're based in DC, but I'm working here out of Tampa and I've got about 17 years working on clean energy and solar issues starting in Florida and now expanding nationally. And I'd like to go ahead and walk around the virtual room, if you will. And when I um, say your name, please just go ahead and introduce yourself Give us about a minute on who you are, what you're working on, and then I'll go ahead and set up uh, more context on this show. So I'll start with you, David. Okay. Uh, yeah, David Jenkins. I'm a president of an organization called Conservatives for Responsible Stewardship. We're a nationwide organization with over 20,000 members. We have actually around 9,000 members in the state of Florida alone. We are basically what the name says. We're, it's an organization of conservatives who care about conservation and stewardship. We work nationwide. You know, there's a wide range of issues from, from clean energy and, and climate to protecting wild places, uh, reforming the oil and gas industry. We have a, a lot on our plate, but we come at these, these issues from a purely conservative perspective, embracing the market, making sure people are responsible, making sure we protect taxpayers, those kind of things. So we've been working in Florida a lot on clean energy, and we've been going around to all the conservative clubs in the state and doing presentations on clean energy and climate and how the energy market has changed. So that's that's pretty much who we are, and we're, we're more traditionalist conservative. Uh, if you think Ronald Reagan and Teddy Roosevelt, you, you kind of get there. So So that's who we are. Terrific. Got it. Thank you, David. All right, Susan, a dear friend of mine and longtime ally in this industry in solar and climate and clean energy. Please go ahead and introduce yourself, Susan. Great. So I'm Susan Glickman. I am a consultant to a number of organizations, but a lifelong public interest 
advocate. I've done policy around, I often say I used to fight the tobacco industry. Now I fight the oil industry and utilities. So I've been working for the last 22 years on climate and energy issues for a number of organizations. I'm here, you know, on my own behalf. I'm a consultant to the uh, Florida Clinicians for Climate Action. And I work with a lot of organizations, Rethink Energy Florida, Union of Concerned Scientists, and the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy. So, you know, I, I want to protect, you know, the beautiful state that I call home. I'm a native and watching the, what dirty energy basically, you know, does to our communities, to our health. And of course, you know, the communities that are most vulnerable are the ones that are sort of hurt worst and first uh, with things like near road air pollution. And I'm this utterly optimistic person who knows that we can do it better. And so I'm here to, to, to press for, you know, moving faster to clean up transportation, to clean up the power sector. And thankfully, it's cheaper. And I know we're going to get into all this today in our conversation, but we have seen enormous rate increases. And really, while the cost of solar has come down about 90% in the last decade or so, so this is about energy independence, about reducing, you know, our, our, our dependence on fossil fuels. But as much for the environment as for our pocketbook. We send just, you know, billions of dollars out of state every year to bring in fossil fuels from somewhere else. And our communities would be better served and the, the people in our communities if we would keep those energy dollars here at home. So there's just a lot at stake. It's, it's the future. It's, you know, Melissa Baldwin's two beautiful children is why we do this work, why I get up every day. And uh, so I'm honored uh, to be here and I look forward uh, to providing particularly some historical historical context to where we've been in Florida and and, and where we are today. I've, That's I've right. got two beautiful children too, Susan, but I guess you know Melissa better. No, I was just gonna I was gonna say actually I've been running Clean Technica for 13 years and I as far back as I remember, I've worked with Susan on I mean she's we've been in contact over I don't know how many different topics and mm. and news stories and I just you're a phenomenal person in the industry who, you know, you know, you know your way around the industry very well, and it's just been a pleasure working with you. And I think it is interesting too. We have three people here from Southwest Florida who have been involved in clean tech industry for a long time. So it's not all happening in California. We have, we have mm -hmm. some clean tech leaders in Florida too. So, and we've got a, you know another one here next on the panel, Ben Miller. Give us your short intro, please. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. My name is Ben Millar. I'm the CEO of Sun Harvest Energy, but for this call, I'm here representing the Florida Solar Energy Industries Association, which is hard to say, so we just say FLACIA. And FLACIA is dedicated to helping all the industries within the kind of solar sector. So we focus uh, a lot on the things that affect them. One of, one of those things, obviously, is net metering because uh, that is a little bit of a bedrock of solar here in Florida. And in regards to kind of the, the bills that were recently uh, came up, without net metering, you would lose thousands and thousands of jobs. And that's, that's really a big thing for us is that we are here as, as job providers, as, as business owners, as people who have jobs in the industry. And that is, that is a huge focus of ours. But we're also focusing on things such as you know, faster permitting, education, you know, helping the everyday installer, uh, helping our manufacturers 
Uh, all those things are important to us. Right. Thank you so much, Susan, Ben, and David, and thank you for being here today. So I'm going to go ahead and just frame the bigger question that we're here to tackle today, and I'm going to give you the background and how do we get to this question. So um, at my firm, my boss, Mike Casey, has been pressing the clean energy industry to really look closely at how we can stand up to incumbent industries who have for hundreds of years or you know, decades been you know, leveraging their political power, their community relations, their presence in communities to really achieve their policy goals. And he asked the question, you know, is there any politician anywhere in the United States that really fears going against the clean energy industry? And he suspects that the answer is no. But I will note that in this LinkedIn conversation that was going on, we had somebody pipe in, uh, Julia Piper, who said, well, what about Ron DeSantis's veto of the net metering bill? And we said, aha, that's interesting. Let's look at that. So that's why we're here today is just really to explore that. You know, Governor DeSantis has surprised us before. This is a guy who says that he's not a global warming guy, but he also came out of the gate and had meaningful uh, sustainability positions and was talking about resiliency, right? So, you know, coming off of Rick Scott, that was a bit of a breath of fresh air. So um, we've seen surprises from him before. We generally want to just understand, you know, what was done in Florida. As I, as I see it and reading about it and talking with you all, there was an effort that was launched on behalf of NGOs, of the industry and of others. And so we just want to hear more from all of you about that. So on that, just on that intro, on the first part, uh, I actually have a separate podcast discussion with Mike Casey, uh, founder and president of, of TigerCom, uh, which is basically about that first part. And so that should actually be publishing before this. So you should check it out on our podcast networks or on YouTube. And definitely, if you appreciate all of this, you know, give us a like, a thumbs up, all that stuff. I don't like making that pitch, but someone makes me do it. So, you know, don't forget to, to like us on Apple, Apple <laughs> podcast, but then yeah, Julia Piper, very, very smart person in the industry as well. Uh, very great, great reporter. So that's, that led into this. So should we, we should talk to Julia at some point. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I plan to reach out to her as well. And yeah, and just let us know, let her know that that, you know, really got us thinking about that. And and what was the reason behind this decision? You know, none of us can look inside of his mind and know exactly, but we hope to have a good discussion here today and just explore the different facets, which there, there are many. As a leader in energy storage technologies, Vertzilla Energy Storage and Optimization's mission is to make storage a fundamental part of a cleaner, more intelligent, and distributed energy infrastructure. We are a passionate team tackling exciting challenges in the energy industry as we transition the power grid to a 100% renewables future. Our technologies and solutions are a critical component supporting utilities, renewables developers, independent power producers, and many more energy asset owners in their decarbonization journeys. As Vertilla Energy Storage continues to grow, we are always on the lookout for future-oriented talent, talent that shares our passion for the energy transition. Want to join us as we scale up? Please visit storage.vartzilla.com forward slash careers to learn more today. Before we get into that, though, Susan, could you just give a brief history on that FPL and their role in, in, in Florida and also on Governor DeSantis? just to kind of set the context for leading up to this veto. Yeah. I mean, it's such an interesting discussion because when you think about 
the notion of political leadership. That's much more broadly, you know, broad than a conversation about clean energy or anything else. I mean, generally speaking, you know, electeds, politicians are going to be where they think it's politically smart to be. And so that uh, connects to some of the history in Florida and the big investor-owned utilities, which cover 75% of the state of Florida, have had enormous influence and really outsized uh, clout in many ways because they're in a position to give a lot of money to political campaigns. They hire scores of lobbyists. They give to the both political parties. They give across the board, and you know, and then they flat out hire people and 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 so forth. So. They have enormous clout. That said, and we're going to really delve into this today, you know, the issue of energy independence is something that is very politically appealing, both on the on the conservative side and on the progressive side. And so Florida's policies are really out of step with where most people are. But that requires kind of sharpening the arguments and then bringing it, you know, to a political head in, in some way because true conservatives value free market and competition. But yet Florida is one of four states that the law expressly prohibits anyone other than your government assigned you know, monopoly utility from selling electricity. So fundamentally, and again, a lot of people don't necessarily realize that that's the case, but we start with that. And so in 2014, 2015, the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy in the lead, but working with lots of organizations, started a solar choice effort, Floridians for Solar Choice. And there were you know, Tea Party, Debbie Dooley, many people know her, one of the original Tea Party people. We have the Florida Restaurant and Lodging, the Florida Retail Federation, you know, which are, you know, very, uh, you know, prominent business uh, groups in the state. And then, you know, all the environmentalists got on board to look at this issue of solar choice third-party sales so that someone else could come in and sell electricity, and then there would be competition. So it was so appealing that legislative session, the legislators themselves actually put on the ballot on a, a, a measure that would abate the taxes. So we said yes on four. So that was amendment four. And that really opened up the market. And we started to see more companies coming in that could lease. You could always lease solar equipment in Florida, but that taxes made the tax made it uncompetitive. So again, Politicians are going to be where they think it's smart to be. So when they saw that those conservatives coming to the table alongside more traditional environmentalists and the business community, they knew they had to move. So, you know, that's kind of where we are. Florida Power and Light is the largest utility in the state. Their parent company, Next Era Energy, is the biggest wind and solar producers in the entire country. And I think it was maybe a year and a half ago, they passed the market value of ExxonMobil. So right in Florida in Juno Beach is this very large company and one would only imagine that you know they have a lot of clout and I won't get into a lot of detail but just recently there's been an enormous amount of bad press about this company in particular uh, using you know tactics of you know uh, tracking journalists and spying on people and uh, we may get into more of that later but it, it it shined a very unfavorable light on them number one and more importantly and we'll get into this more later people's electric bills are going through the roof 
because Florida is 75% reliant on gas and gas prices have gone through the roof. You know, part of that is global, what's going on in Ukraine. So just to give you a real quick example, in the last year or so, Florida Power and Light put through an 18% rate increase. It's two and a half billion dollars. They already passed through another $1,111,000,000 in additional costs for gas. Uh, you don't, they don't make money off fuel, but they pass it through. But yet Next Era and Duke, own a gas pipeline that comes from Alabama into central Florida. Uh, so essentially they make money coming and going. And they've already signaled that they're coming back for another billion and a half dollars, what they call a course correction on gas. So people are mad about, and this is happening all over the state, but it's particularly pronounced in the panhandle. And so that's an area where David Jenkins and others were working. And uh, we all believe that there was an influence that in the panhandle where Congressman Matt Gates called for hearing about the rates, where two Republican members voted against the net metering bill in committee, which was even more unusual than, you know, was very unusual as was the veto. So the rates going up so bad, you know, so pronounced really had a role in all of this. So I, I want to, um, I want to hear more from that or go ahead and finish your comment. And then I yeah, want to hear more from, I know Zach has a question for David about that. Yeah, no, I'm I'm ready. I'm saying that those huge rate increases really set a stage for what ultimately happened in the veto um, and more. So we should uh, hear from David on that. Yeah, I would I would just highlight three three points before we go to the question. So one is that I think as long as as we've ever any of us have been in the industry, people on the right and the left have been big fans of clean energy, solar energy, especially polling has always shown massive, massive support for solar energy and even solar energy subsidies, incentives, people just support it. And I think everybody in politics knows this. At the same time, as Mike Casey pointed out, how much does it actually force legislation? How much does it actually lead to strong legislation? That's not always, you know, the, the people don't always have as much power as we would think or would like. And the, the issue on the utility side, which you already mentioned, but I just want to highlight is utilities have a lot of power. They know how to get influence in state politics, local politics and national politics, but especially state politics. They sort of, you know, they doesn't matter who's in power. They have influence. So I think and the, the last point I wanted to lead into this question with was that, you know, Governor DeSantis is not exactly known for being in the middle. He's very much into uh fighting sort of culture wars and and getting sort of poking liberals poking progressives in the eye every chance he gets so i think it was one of the biggest surprises of the veto was that he seemed to be siding with what's often a left uh, issue on the solar net metering but there's a lot more to it than that so you know it might have been surprising for those of us who who advocate for solar but there's a lot more behind it, which 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 Susan already led into, but I think David can answer this question better than probably any of us. Why did DeSantis side with this relatively young rooftop solar industry over a powerful in-state utility? Yeah, well, I, I think a lot of it boils down to who he's hearing from with respect to concerns about that legislation, for example, that the people who have rooftop solar, the people who want at least the option of rooftop solar, as Susan was saying, the monopoly utilities are sort of sort of run amok. 
they've been asking for massive rate increases. They're, they're heavily dependent on a fossil fuel that's uh, not very uh, cost competitive right now. And, you know, they have a captive customer base. I mean, if you're, if you're an FPNL customer, you can't switch and they're not subject to competition. You know, if a McDonald's opens up on a, one side of the street, they can't prevent a Wendy's from opening up on the other side of the street. But these utilities have managed to avoid competition. And so rooftop solar is sort of the, the only way that people can get out from under the thumb of those utilities and have some energy independence and exercise their, their liberty and, and security with their energy and not just be sit there and, you know, fed rate increase after rate increase and have to sit and take it. And so we went out and we've, we've been out and spoke to conservative clubs all across the state. We've been on uh, right, you know, more the right of right wing uh, and conservative talk radio, educating the audiences about this issue. And, uh, you know, part of it is that energy freedom frame, but it's also, you know, a lot about what Susan was saying about your electric bill. The energy market has changed dramatically in the last five years. And we, you know, people are, are kind of hard to change things that are hard thinking that is hardwired in. So we've all been sort of accustomed to thinking that if we go the clean energy route, then that's going to cost extra on your electricity bill. That's why you have things like cap and dividend, for example, where the, the dividend is supposed to make up for the extra energy cost. But that's no longer true because the market has changed. Solar and wind are actually cheaper than natural gas and coal generated electricity. Nuclear is even cheaper than natural gas and coal generated electricity today. So the market has changed. And if you're a conservative, you've been taught all your life that the market knows best, that we follow the market. And you can't just cherry pick and say, okay, we're going to follow the market when it favors fossil fuels, but we're not going to follow the market when it favors clean energy. So in, in theory, you can't cherry pick, but many well, people it's, it's, cherry pick quite well. It's not intellectually consistent. <laughs> and it doesn't, you know, if you believe in the market, you believe in the market. And so a lot of our work has been educating people about those market dynamics. And then also when it came to this specific legislation, educating that audience about just how bad it was, you know, not only the, the trying to kill solar in the sunshine state, but, you know, doing so to preempt future competition. And they even put this subsidy in the bill that said that uh, they can raise rates on customers if they lose money due to competition from rooftop solar. So in other words, they're never going to absorb the cost of making a bad decision or losing competition. It's all gamed so that it's just a pass through to customers, anything they lose. So their profit is guaranteed. And if you look at all aspects of the way Fifth PL and other monopoly utilities have worked across the state, they game the system to profit no matter what. And that is not in the interest of Floridians and, and for Florida ratepayers. It raises your energy bill. And as DeSantis seemed to key on with his veto, is inflationary. I mean, it, it contributes to inflation. So at a time when people were, you know, under the gun because of other inflationary issues, the fact that 
the utility would then get get a piece of legislation that allows them to further raise people's electric bill just because someone puts a solar panel on their home. I think that was a bridge too far. And then the other thing I'll say about, you know, the audiences we targeted are essentially the base of the conservative of conservatives, the base of the Republican Party. And the one thing we 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 know about DeSantis and and a lot of politics these days is that the base has outsized influence on decision making. They care about the base. You know, left-oriented environmental groups could go pounding on the door day and night for a decade, and it won't have a wit won't make a wit of difference with these people because of the way they see their political fortunes. Their their political future, they they hinge it on energizing the base. And the great thing is, is that rooftop solar and the independence it provides and the the way it's um, kind of a, a pushback at the monopoly utilities that are avoiding the free market is tailor-made for conservative and libertarian audiences to get them riled up. I tell the story about there's a, uh, there's a guy that runs a podcast that believes that the UN is amassing 250,000 troops in Cuba to invade Florida. And so he's a little out there. <laughs> but when we started, when I started mentioning solar, he lit up like a Christmas tree. He's a huge fan of solar. And one of the reasons is he lives in Arizona. He's completely off grid. He powers his house completely with solar. And he's, he says he's sticking it to the monopoly utilities there. And no matter what, where we were on other issues or other, we were perfectly matched up on, on the importance of solar, what it affords you in terms of independence, uh, energy liberty, energy security, controlling your power bills, all those things. And that should not be partisan. That should not be a political football. People, you know, you, you say it's a left-oriented issue. It's really not. It, it, it's a pocketbook issue. It's a what makes sense issue. You know, I always say there's no red or blue or right or left energy. It's all energy. And so whatever the source makes sense and what the market favors will change over time. And so you can't swim upstream against those market forces. And conservatives have never been folks that, are, that, that do that. So educating people on that has been the key. And I think with respect to DeSantis's decision, I think he was hearing from the people he cared about. And I think that had a huge impact on his decision. Hmm. That's really interesting, David. And I'm, I think we're going to circle back to you more to talk about those messages that resonate. And I also want to hear from Ben, who's with Flacia in the solar industry. Florida has benefited from tremendous growth over the last decade. And so I'd love to hear you talk, Ben, about the industry. And I and and again, we're just always going back to this question of, you know, why would DeSantis, who's politically ambitious, you know, self-admittedly not a global warming guy, veto this anti-solar legislation? And and for you, Ben, 
you know, do you think that he felt political pressure from SIA or what, you know, what efforts was SIA taking to help to, to make noise about this? All right. A couple of different uh, questions there, there. One in terms of the solar industry, you know, the solar industry has certainly grown. It's been the industry association, I think has been around since, I want to say 1977, 1979. And for a long time, it was a cottage industry, you know, a group of contractors that focused on solar hot water and a few on solar PV, and you know, there wasn't a ton of growth going on. Now, if you ask those guys, I get to chat with them every once in a while, uh, they'll tell you they always told each other, man, this industry is just about to take off. And it took a while. It took a little bit. And there are a couple of reasons that I, I always like to uh, point out there. Some of it was, hey, there was some removal of some political barriers with the uh, removal of some tax issues, both on the tangible personal property tax side that uh, Susan had highlighted, but also just no property, uh, no increase in your property tax if you have solar. Uh, that was another one, I think 2008, 2009. So those were helpful. A big reason why solar took off in Florida, though, and, and more recently than maybe it did in California, where it took off in 2006, 7, 9, it didn't start taking off into Florida until five, six years ago. Part of that was just the financing. Again, as uh, Susan alluded to before, companies felt more comfortable that they could come here and do leasing programs. But more importantly, companies like Dividend Finance, Goodleap, Mosaic, they came out with solar loans that homeowners could own their own systems. Uh, so ownership is a big thing for people. They can own their own systems. They can get them financed and they can simply pay less than they were paying for in their utility bills. And because of the way that financing is structured, many people were able to take advantage of it. So it went from a situation where, yes, maybe if you had a decent amount of money saved away, you can afford solar, to a situation where many, many people uh, across the income spectrum uh, were able to actually take part in, in solar and gain their own energy independence, save money, and use solar as an anti-inflation mechanism that it is. In terms of this veto, I think the governor, while we, while we tried to send messages and, and, and work and send real information to the governor, I don't think he felt pressure from, from us. I think what he felt is that this was a good and solid argument, that a good argument had been made, that solar is anti-inflationary, that the bill did kind of give this extra power to the utilities to, to profit from profit from profit they didn't earn, unearned profit, if you will. But I, I really do think that he understood that there was a lot of inflation going on in terms of energy costs and that solar is a anti-inflation uh, method. And again, as, as David pointed out, all the things that he said in terms of, you know, there is this level of energy independence and energy even it's not necessarily, hey, I'm completely independent. It's more of like, hey, I produce for myself. Name of our company is Sun Harvest Energy. It's this idea that you can bring in and do things for yourself. And I think that, yes, that is something that's great for people that want to live in a commune and build their own uh, farms, right? Live that way, uh, which could speak to more progressive look. But it could also be somebody who is very conservative who simply wants to be able to you know, pull themselves up by their bootstraps and feel like they're doing something for themselves. And I, and I think 
And to some degree, DeSantis was able to see that. Again, I can't read his mind, but it was certainly in our, the arguments that we were making and providing information that we could. And, and that's really our goal as an industry association with you ask the question, hey, who's, who's afraid? What politicians are afraid? Our goal is not to make anybody afraid. Our goal is to make sure that we're getting the proper arguments, and really just information out to representatives and, and senators, right? Many of these people want to come into their office and do a great job. And they don't necessarily go all there, hey, I'm gonna go up there and, and mess people up, right? That's, that's not what they're thinking. Most of them go in, maybe all of them, maybe, maybe 99% of them go in and they want to do a great job for the people that they represent, but they don't always get all the information and they can't know everything about everything. And so as an industry association that has grown up with the industry, that is now stronger because the industry has now grown, we are now doing that work to make sure that we are out there speaking to representatives, making sure that they have a good understanding, that they have a resource, so that they want to understand how this impacts jobs, how this impacts consumers, and, and the things that can be done to better the lives of Floridians. We want to be there to help them do that. Mm. Thank you, Ben. And I see that Zach has his hand raised. Go ahead, Zach. Well, I just, I thought it was funny in that conversation with Mike Casey yesterday, we, he mentioned, you know, we, when TigerCom was founded and it brought me back to a, a renewable energy and green conference I went to in 2004, 18 years ago. And I swear you just lifted lines straight from the conversations on the floor there by the solar panels <laughs> about how, how people were talking about it back then when it was obviously, as you said, more of a cottage industry. And I saw Susan smiling. So it's just it's funny to have a few people on here who have that you know, couple decades or, or a few decades of history and see how far it's come. And on that topic, I just want to well, say I just have two decades, just two. What's that? Me personally, I just have two decades, not a Yeah, yeah, me too. No, I, 18 is, I mean, that was my first ever conference at a, with a solar panel on a, a display, you know, solar panel displays, I think. But but yeah, I think, I mean, every, everybody can see sort of the solar industry has become a much bigger thing. And in the future, in 10 years, it will be even that much bigger. And I mean, this is sort of part of the issue too, FPL you know, the utilities want to profit off of the, the low cost of solar and, and build the solar farms. And they've, they've done a lot of work marketing big solar farm plans. Of course, individuals do too. With the question of, you know, why DeSantis vetoed the bill, one thing came to mind while you guys were talking, uh, especially I think when David was talking, if the president of the United States is in power the president of the United States who's in power when oil prices, gas prices are very high, always takes a huge hit in the polling. I mean, there's almost nothing more definitive of how a president's polling than the price of gas, price of oil. And I mean, this goes decades and decades. And even though it's a global you know, issue and the president doesn't have that much influence over the price at any given month. And I thought, you know, Governor DeSantis knows this, obviously. And he perhaps, you know, had it very strongly in mind that his polling, how people view him is going to be heavily dependent on the price of fuel in Florida, as David was pointing out, the, the high price of, of natural gas and that kind of thing. So I think, you know, he might have just taken a very shrewd political decision to say, hey, if the prices are high and people don't have an outlet, an option like rooftop solar, I'm going to get hit in the polls. 
an even more cynical side. You know, I've been following politics deeply for a long time. I have a more cynical, you know, possible explanation is, you know, he, he mentioned, I think, that in the veto that he didn't want anything that would risk raising rates on people. He didn't want anything that would, would cost people more. And I almost wondered, you know, if he would find a way to justify letting a similar bill through in a year, if he got enough political contributions from a certain portion of the industry, if he gets enough money from, for example, utilities in his own efforts to to climb the political ladder, maybe he would change his mind on approving or disapproving of a bill like this. But I'll, I'll send it back to David first. He's got his hand up. And I just, I think we're all very curious to hear more of David's take on why DeSantis did or did this or, or what he might do in the future. And then we can go to Ben as well, because he's also got his hand up. But start with David. Great. Yeah, I, I think with respect to what this bodes for the future and, and how DeSantis will act, one thing we heard since his veto was that he got an enormous amount of positive feedback for vetoing this bill. And the fact that he's noticed the positive feedback leads me to believe that that positive feedback is not coming from the left. It's coming from people he cares about. It's coming from the base uh, on the political right. And so if you're getting that positive feedback about this, I think it makes it that much more difficult to then turn around and side with the industry just a year later. So, so I think that's something. Now, of course, presidential politics could, could get involved, obviously. But in terms of, you know, sort of that market question that we were talking about and solar's progress, the people, people don't, I think it's a huge educational issue. And people don't realize just how much of a liability electricity generated by coal and natural gas are. Now, in Florida, it's a little different, but, you know, like we said, it's, you know, the utilities are 75% reliant on natural gas, which was actually losing out to solar a year ago, and the price has tripled since then. But to give you an example of the stark contrast, and this is these are extreme examples, but they're accurate. There's a utility-scale solar price uh, uh, purchase, uh, long-term no, purchase agreement. agreement. Yeah, there you go. Okay. I lost it for a minute. But the, there's one in, in New Mexico, where solar generated electricity is selling for $15 a megawatt hour wow. for 20 years. It's guaranteed at $15 a megawatt hour for 20 years. In that same state, you have a old coal plant that the electricity is selling for $80 a megawatt hour. And it's going to get worse because these facilities are so old, they, they require more and more money to maintain so even if the nat price of natural gas or the price of coal were was really low, it doesn't mean the cost of electricity will be low as a result too, because there's these, all these other costs of maintaining these old plants that go into the price of electricity. So they cannot be competitive for a lot of reasons. And the fact that gas has tripled in the past year, and you know the European demand for for natural gas, liquefied natural gas is not going to go down because they're not going to go back to Russia. So the demand for U.S. gas is going to stay there. So we're looking at a situation where it's not just a minor difference between the cost of electricity that's generated by gas or coal and solar. 
it can be, a, it's a massive difference. And there's nobody that will look at their power bill and say, okay, well, yeah, I'd rather, I'd rather my utility pay uh, $80 a megawatt hour for electricity than $15 a megawatt hour for electricity. And it's, well, you know, the more those, that market dynamic is, is uh, understood across the political spectrum, this will stop being what's seen as a um, more of a left-right or whether you're, you know, anti-pollution or, and, uh, or pro-corporation. I mean, it, it'll, it'll not seem that way anymore. It'll be a, such a logical choice for people's pocketbooks that it'll be one of those 90% issues. You know, it'll, it's crazy. But the thing is, to get there, you have to educate the public about it. And then the other th frame, just one, one quick thing, is in terms of talking about the net metering bill uh, and about how the legislature just basically rubber stamped it, right? I would always ask the question, why are Florida officials so hell-bent on lavishing favors <laughs> on FPNL or the state's other monopoly utilities? They protect them from competition. They guarantee their profits. They allow record rate increases, you name it. None of that is in the best interest of regular Floridians and ratepayers. So this is not capitalism. It's more like a mob racket. And when we pose the question for, uh, you know, those politicians and Governor DeSantis, we said, you know, this is a choice. Either you can be a genuine pro-liberty, pro-capitalism conservative, or you can be a pansy for monopoly, not monopoly utilities that are committed to squashing all competition. Which do you want to be? Which is conservative? And the answer is, is quite obvious. So that's between those two things, the changing market and the utility aspect and how they're, you know, sort of getting away with murder. There's a compelling story there that should appeal across the board politically. No ifs, ands, or buts. Thank you, David. And I saw, I know Ben wanted to speak and I saw, uh, Zach, I believe you raised your hand as well. Ben, go ahead. What did you want to add? Yeah, I think, I think it's easy, and I'll, uh, Zach, I'll use your word, it's very easy to be cynical in politics, and particularly it can be easy to be cynical when somebody on a different side of the political spectrum makes a move that seems positive, right? You know, well, what's, what's going on there? And, and sometimes I would say rightfully so. But I think, again, for the, for the association, we kind of choose to you may think it's naive, but we, we choose to kind of believe that, hey, the reason why conservatives, including DeSantis, voted against it is because they cared about their constituents. To the degree the two Republicans that voted no in the panhandle, they knew what was going on with their constituents. There were others that we spoke to that really didn't understand, because again, they can't always know everything. And, you know, uh, the association will do a better job to continue to educate them. But they don't really understand the, the real effects, I don't, I don't think. And so, again, we, I kind of believe that DeSantis kind of got it. He understood what the stakes were for Floridians, and that's why he vetoed it. In regards to a future net metering bill, you're asking me, basically, do utility companies continue to want to try to make more money? They're for-profit companies. They're going to try to make more money. Our job is to continue working and educating both, uh, both politicians, but also the public, and just making, understand, making them understand 
you know, the, the real importance and the, and the results of, of these choices. Uh, and I think with that, the truth does prevail. It's a rocky road sometimes, and it takes a lot of effort, but it is something that is really important to me. I want to respond to you, Ben, and I know Zach wanted to speak next, and I see Susan's hand is raised. And just one of the challenges that my firm has made to the industry is there is, I I agree, there is that thinking. I see it across the industry as well, and that there's just a sound business case to be made. And we totally agree as well. But also just acknowledging in our discussion here, the way that we've noted how the political contributions from large players like utilities, like incumbent energy players, or even other industries in raising that political clout, that political donations, that is one way to achieve policy outcomes. And so we challenge the industry to just, you know, to really think, to reflect on that and to think critically about how can we compete with the levels of donations that we see from the incumbent energy sector. Clean energy is on the rise, but there are still roadblocks ahead in community acceptance. Now we're seeing a huge pushback across the country from county commissions, siting and zoning uh, facilities as well. And so it is important, I think, to use the truth and to use education, but also to not be afraid to exercise you, you know, your political capital. And so with that, I'll pass it to Zach and then Susan. I just, I think we had a really great discussion, uh, diverse discussion of different ideas for for how this happened. I think it's it's been really fruitful, what, what I hoped for. I just want to say that we have a follow-up one as well with Craig Pittman, a great journalist in Florida who wrote the story with Solar Bill Vito, Florida Governor DeSantis slips into something more liberal. It's a really insightful and hilarious and interesting take from my my perspective, and we'll follow up with him since he couldn't make the panel discussion. But to close out, I think, Susan, you did a great intro on the history. Well, you know, I'm thinking about the evolution of this. And as solar has grown, and we can talk about solar in a way that we couldn't before because the costs have come down, right? In 2005, Jeb Bush pushed through a law to allow the utilities to charge in advance for nuclear reactors. There were four on the table, none got built, but Florida ratepayers paid literally in the billions for these plants, right? And, you know, you would think that, you know, Jeb Bush would consider himself a conservative. That was, you know, really privatizing the profits and socializing the risk. So it's so interesting to me to see, you know, this more conservative frame. I mean, it was the James Madison Institute out of Tallahassee that was caught on tape bragging about the political jujitsu in Florida right on the 2016 ballot because the utilities had a measure on the ballot that sounded like it was good for solar, but it was going to put into our state constitution, you know, this supposition that somehow there's a cross subsidy around solar and it's just simply not true. So any anyway, it's been fun to, to listen to this evolution. But as solar's grown a little bit, a little bit, we had more of a base of solar, you know, developers, solar installers. And then uh, really, we saw a pretty good a number of solar companies coming in and even giving small contributions, but it, it playing, you know, being part of the political process in 2016. And then that that grew obviously to 2022 because they're just more solar people and financing. 
is key. Financing is the secret sauce. I mean, you can go to Climate First Bank and they offer a solar loan that you can do on your phone for 4.99%. You know, the solar energy loan fund. I have solar on my roof and and I ended up refinancing my whole house, but that helped me finance my solar at one point self, which uh, really uh, concentrates on affordable financing for for lower income families, but they can help everybody. So financing is, is the secret sauce. So I appreciated you you bringing that into it. But anyway, I think the, you know, as there's more solar costs come down, traditional fossil fuels go up, you know, this is the conservative place to be. And, you know, the investor and utilities get a guaranteed rate of return on their capital expenditure. And the last thing I'll say is Florida Power and Light had to withdraw their 10-year site plan, where they said they needed to build another gas plant because they were basing it on a cold snap in Miami in 1989. And they got such, you know, bad reaction to that, uh, that they had to withdraw it. They are like waiters in a restaurant, the investor and utilities, they get a guaranteed rate of return on capital expenditure. So their incentive is on building power plants. Out of 52 utilities nationwide, Florida Power and Light, it's 51 out of 52 in offering conservation programs. I mean, conservatives and progressives would all think that makes no sense because energy efficiency is the cheapest thing. It helps people get their bills down. Uh, Tampa Electric's 46, Duke is 48, and FPL's 51 out of 52. I want to be equal opportunity here. So so with that, it's been a really interesting discussion about, you know, how we got to where we are. Yeah, thank you for that, Susan. And uh, I thank you, all of you, for your willingness to participate, to just talk about your role in um, what was really an important save for the industry. We're glad to see it. It's a, bit, a bit surprising, but in exploring with all of you, we can see, you know, some of the incentive and, and some of the reasoning behind it. And thank you, especially Zach, for giving us an opportunity and a platform to have this conversation and, and to really challenge and, and ask that question. And how can, how can clean energy, how can clean tech really amp up its uh, political power in, in the future. So thank you for that. Thank you to all of you. I'll just close. I was I toured a solar farm in Crimea, Ukraine, almost a decade ago, maybe right before Crimea was invaded. And they had these cool signs there that said, have a sunny day. So just end with, for all of you, thank you for joining us and have a sunny day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Walk, 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 walk,